night after night. I watch over this city. But now someone stands in the shadows who knows my every move before I make it. Stalking me. It ends tonight. Ciao, my people, and welcome to our 175th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, the wonderful man, Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Uh, not too bad. I can't complain. I've uh, just had a recent birthday, so I'm hit my 45th year around the sun. Fantastic. Yes, indeed. I remember last time we podcasted was the day before your birthday. So uh, Yes, sir. And, and fun times were had. And speaking of fun things, Keith, joining us today are two fantastic guest co-hosts. On one hand, Mr. Greg Vorob. Hey, Greg, how are you? And welcome back. It's funny you should say that, that you you must like what I'm selling here because this is show number 12 for me. I, I thank you so much for having me on. It's always a blast. Oh, we're very, very happy to have you back indeed. And on the other, returning as well is uh, the lovely Holly McMiller. Hey, Holly, how are you? And welcome back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back again. <laughs> <laughs> I miss being in the happiness and darkness control center. <laughs> Oh, I guess we have a name for our lair now, the Happiness and Darkness <laughs> Control Center. Thank you very much for that, Holly. Because <laughs> You're speaking welcome. Of, <laughs> because it's very apt, because speaking of lairs and, I guess, bat caves, today we are discussing Batman Under the Red Hood from 2010. This was directed by Brandon Vietti. The film was written by Judd Winnick, while the score was by Christopher Drake. This movie did not have a theatrical release. It went directly to uh, home video, so we don't have any returns for it. But uh, those are the breaks, folks. So I guess let's get directly to, to general impressions. Greg, starting with you, what are your general thoughts on this one? Um, well, uh, in, in starting the animated Batman films, I started with The Dark Knight Returns. And... I, I was floored by it. I, I I know not everybody shares my opinion, but I really, really was impressed with it. And then subsequent viewings of other animated Batman films that uh, I had watched, or some were better than others, but didn't, for me, hit every note. And while this one, Under the Red Hood, for me, which I guess we'll get into later, didn't exactly hit every note. It's a fine story. Um. I've been rewatching, uh, re I should say, reintroducing myself to Batman the Animated Series. And this is, I'm seeing why it's the quintessential, the, the major Batman fans think of it as their quintessential vision of Batman, because it's true, it is. With Under the Red Hood, it is very Batman. It, it is a traditional Batman story with that flip side of the darkness of the story. Because it's in there. And in the animated series, of course, it's in there. And it's been in everything with the exception of the Adam West Batman, you know. But it's a it's a traditional, well-told Batman story that is a little difficult to watch. And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and 
I must say it, it was reminiscent, however, of um, the killing joke in which they stretched it out to an hour and 15 minutes when it could have been shorter. And unfortunately, where I would not where I didn't enjoy it was I was taken out of it a lot. I was it, it didn't hold my interest a lot until like a plot maybe that I didn't care about, which I guess we'll get into when we get into characters, took me out of it when the like B story, the B story with red, uh, I'm sorry, uh, black mask. And then when it got back into our main cast of characters, which is Batman, uh, Jason Todd, Red Hood and the Joker, those were the best scenes. Those were the best parts. And, and they're supposed to be. So that's good. But other parts, I, I it just didn't hold my interest. So I, I think that sums up uh, everything, what I think about it. I also had to I had to further ask you, Greg, because you had mentioned you uh, had gotten into Christopher Drake's uh, com- music, yes. you know, as yes. a listener. What did you make of the score for this one? First of all, I'm always happy and applaud when I see him as the as the uh, the music score person. Um, well, The Dark Knight Returns was very, very intense. This was a little bit more subtle, but fitting especially the end credits uh, when it has that jolt of shock at the end you know of like literally depressing and then his music with the with the raindrops in the puddle really translated well because i believe that raindrops in the puddle was batman's inner pain if i were to get analytic here so uh, yeah he did a great job it was, it was subtle it was not epic but it, it was very fitting Awesome. And uh, moving on then to you, Holly, uh, you know, I believe you actually uh, um, thought it would be a good idea to review this one. So uh, Mm -hmm. uh, what are your general thoughts on this one? Um, First impressions for not having dipped my toe too much in the Batman. I enjoyed this one, but I do have to agree a little bit. I was kind of taken out with the B plot with Black Mask because, I mean, we have Ra's al Ghul show up. And I'm thinking, okay, him and the Joker are going to be the main guys along with Red Hood. And then, I mean, Raza Ghoul's only there for maybe five, ten minutes combined. It's just like, huh? <laughs> so, I mean, it was an enjoyable story. I mean, it kept my it kept my attention, and you know, and it was cool too because hearing Jensen Ackles do Red Hood as compared to him doing Batman and the long Halloween, it was just like, okay, I can buy him as Red Hood. So I really, I, it was an enjoyable cartoon and I can see animated movie. I can see why they consider this like one of the top ones. And it, it should have probably gotten a movie release. It kind of sucks that they decided that ah, we're going to just go right to right to right to home DVD video. Cause, yeah, because I think they would have gotten a lot of people in seats. Because if I remember, there was quite the following of the animated series that would have probably <laughs> gone in mass to see it. Yes, indeed. I mean, maybe I guess had they were, had they been able to possibly stretch it out to a little bit longer, but that maybe could have affected the pacing even more. Like uh, Greg was pointing out, like you know, obviously Batman: The Killing Joke did make its way to theaters uh, together with other animated versions, of course. Um, you know, so but uh, it's interesting that they decided not to do that with this one. And Keith, what do you make of this one? Um, 
I I'm a huge Red Hood fan. I have a little shrine to him. I have, you know, the I originally bought the box of this movie because it came with a little Red Hood action figure. So I immensely enjoyed the story. I am very much a Batman the Animated Series fan. And it took little notes from the original 90s Batman. You noticed with the blimps floating by, that was kind of a harken back to the old TV show. So I, I did like it. I like the cast, you know. Bruce uh, Greenwood is my probably my second favorite Batman in terms of voice actors. Um, Neil Patrick Harris does a really good job. Jensen, he's a great Jason Todd. He I prefer him as Jason Todd opposed to say Batman, just because he has more of like the grittier, angry, whatever bitterness, resentment that Jason Todd mm-hmm. has because of all the crappy he's been through. So I mm-hmm. like that. Yet yeah, yes, the the B movie. B story with Black Mask was a little spore fest because they kind of dragged on a little too long, but it got you to where it had to with him breaking out the Joker and, you know, them having their final confrontation, which kind of impressive that it took them probably what a decade to get this whole plot hammered out and all this crazy whatever going on. But, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, it's funny. I, I take, Jason Todd as the uh, the middle son that you know dad's not really kind of you know excited about. You have uh, Dick Grayson, which is the pinnacle son. He follows dad everywhere he goes. He listens to everything he says. Then you have the rebellious Jason Todd. He's the one that's like, I'm going to stay out past my bedtime. I'm going to go you know break into somebody's house. I'm going to do some really sketchy stuff. So. And then it's funny, like after him, everybody thought he was like the bad boy. And then it kind of progresses to like Damien Waynes and then uh, Kane and all these other characters that they've introduced in the late uh, 2000s that are so much worse than Jason Todd. But at the time, he was like the, the pinnacle bad boy of the Bat family. So I liked it. I wish they would do a Jason Todd movie because he has a lot of there's a lot of meat on that bone. There's a lot of backstory. He's had several series by himself. I think mm-hmm. he could stand on his own two feet. I think so too. Again, it's interesting because one could even, if one even just looked at the Robins that have that have come by, there have been a very sort of interesting kind of different uh, characteristics. Because, like you said, you had the Golden Boy, the rebellious kid, then the one who I guess is a little bit in between with Tim Drake, maybe more towards the good the good kid than the rebellious kid, and then it just gets worse from there. But when it came to this particular movie, I will say that a death in the family. It was one of the very first Batman big stories I ever read in the comics. And it, there is, of course, a tribute to that story here. I mean, it takes some beats from the original Death in the Family story where ostensibly Jason Todd gets killed by the Joker. And so was, I was very interested when, when this, this came up. I was like, wow, so they're doing the Death in the Family mixed with, you know, later stuff that then came around, which was, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken here, Keith, was a little mix of the hush story as well to a certain extent, you know, where, mm. where the- a little bit, they kind of cherry pick bits and pieces from the death in the family up into the Red hood. So kind of different stories across the, the decade or so. Yeah. And so in fact, when I saw that, that, you know, in, you know, watching the Joker literally beating Jason to death with the crowbar, I'm like, Oh my God, they're really doing this. Because, you know, when you go and read The Death in the Family, you're like, okay, it was way back when they could get away with a man beating a kid to death with a crowbar. But uh, here I was like, oh, my God, they're really doing this. And 
you know, they didn't pull any punches, no pun intended. You literally saw the way the crowbar just kept landing on the on this kid's, you know, body and the blood and everything. I was like, wow. So all in all, I will say that, you know, to adapt a death in the family and take it, bring it into this and then mix it up with the, with the rest of the more modern law. I did enjoy this one. I thought it was, it was well told. It didn't seem, the pacing seemed all right. I mean, it's one hour and 15 minutes. It went by pretty quickly for me. And I also uh, commend the um, the voices involved, you know, from Bruce Greenwood all the way up to uh, Jensen Ackles to Wade Williams. It was interesting with some of them because I know what they do in on other a- animated shows. So I'm like, wait a minute, he sounds a little bit too much like Bender, and I'm like, that is kind of taking me out of it a little bit. But um, you know, when I but other than that, um, it was it was it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. It was well done. And uh, to Greg's point, going directly to the ending, when the credits roll onto the just you're looking at the street as it's raining down, that is a beautiful graphic. I was almost like, mm-hmm. I wish I could have that in in perpetuity on my screen as like, I don't know, my wallpaper or my screensaver, because it's just beautiful to look at. It's very melancholy, but it's just beautiful, the effect that they have of as the credits roll and it's almost silent and you just hear the rain pouring down with the names coming up. It was beautifully done. So I will I will commend uh, those everybody who worked on it. I think um, by, by and large, Brandon Vietti did a good job directing this and uh, Judd Winnick did, did a g- decent job at adapting all the stories. So I was happy with it. So let's deeper dive into our movie by looking at our characters, starting with the Dark Knight himself. We have, of course, Bruce Greenwood as Bruce Wayne Batman. So, Holly, starting with you, mm-hmm. what did you make of Batman in this one? Um, different from the long Halloween, but very, you could see where he was coming from. And just like he's on his guard, he's still kind of getting over the loss of Jason. And it's just like, okay, I want to work alone. I don't need another boy wonder. And then once he puts everything together, his anger as like, why didn't I see this right away that it was Robin, Jason as Red Hood? Why didn't I realize that right away and tried to come in and do something so i mean great and greenwald did a amazing job (laughs) knowing what his other acting didn't to actually hear him do voiceover work it's just man (laughs) couldn't ask for better i definitely think so too i mean do you agree with what keith was saying that could we put him up there with kevin conroy Uh, oh yeah oh yeah most definitely yeah, because there, there are quite a few, sim- there were some similarities, I think, between uh, Bruce's voice, if you will, and, and Kevin's. There definitely is that very deep, beautiful, gravelly quality to them, mm-hmm. which I wish I had more of. But there you go. One can't have everything in life. But uh, Keith, when it comes to you, you were singing Bruce Greenwood's praises earlier. So, yeah, what did you make of, of this Batman? Uh, I enjoy him immensely as the Batman. The character, kind of similar to The Long Halloween unfortunately has the same shortcoming everybody else in the room apparently is smarter than batman you know Ra's al ghul was playing him the riddler or the riddler the joker was playing him he kidnaps robin and it takes batman a little too long to figure out all the clues and where the joker's at and he's 
literally two minutes too late and causes, you know, and then of course, Jason dies from his actions or, or incompetence or whatever term you'd like to use. But he considered that his greatest failure when in reality, I would have thought creating the Joker was his greatest failure because he's the reason why we have a Joker. He, you know, him and the Red Hood, the original Red Hood, aka Joker, were fighting in the chemical plant and he fell in the chemicals and became said Joker. And he's been fighting him for literally decades. So it's kind of weird that he considers Robin, the death of Robin, his greatest failure, where I would kind of put him on the same pedestal, if anything, slightly more, because the Joker, as you know, Jason mentions at the end of the movie, the Joker has killed who the hell knows how many hundreds of thousands of people and maimed and paralyzed and other kinds of crazy stuff over the years. And Batman, not that he hasn't done anything, it's just you would have imagined that between the Jason Todd getting killed and the stuff with Barbara, Batman would have just snapped and put the Joker into a coma. And there's, you know, end of story. But he always beats him within an inch of his life and he comes back and he just, and I get it. Like he said in the movie, if I cross that line, I'll never come back. But, you know, everybody gets blinded by rage that one time. So I don't necessarily think it would have completely corrupted Batman after all the crazy stuff that had happened. So I would have kind of liked him to kind of turn that corner, for lack of a better term, and gone down the dark route. Not to say go full Batman who laughs and, you know, start killing everybody. But, you know, if there's a, a, a time and a place, I think for Batman to completely disconnect from reality that probably would have been it great points and uh greg what did you make of this batman well <clears throat> i certainly agree about the acting in fact the acting in general in this is not it, it it's very impressive it's not like a radio play the other ones as we discussed before they read like a radio play not that there's anything wrong with that but this was very realistically acted by all everyone involved um i thought bruce greenwood perfect perfect batman uh might not be my favorite voice that of all these animated uh, properties that i've been seeing lately um but great you know still great um and this was a great batman uh a little flawed but batman is just a man you know which is the theme of one of the themes um I liked it. I liked him very much. He was a uh, he, he checked every box, you know, as Batman. Um, the the guilt that he felt was clear, but yet the ability that he's still going was was there um, again. You know, you know how much I love the Dark Knight Returns. There were some callbacks to it, like looking at Jason Todd's suit. And and that Batman has been broken from a trauma, you know. Um, so yeah, no, I I thought it was very good. I, I I certainly would put him up there as as a uh, as a great interpreter of the character. Well said. I mean, I think you 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 hit it right there on the money there, Greg, with the trauma because it is very much a traumatized Batman. I mean. I, I think if someday Bruce Wayne ever did actually go into analysis 
it would be the rest of his life. He'd spend the rest of his life in analysis, most likely, mm -hmm. because of everything the man has been through. I don't think he's ever had the time to actually heal from one wound to the next. I mean, if you go all the way back to the death of his parents, you sometimes almost ask yourself, did he ever recover from that? I mean, the fact of, you know, he trained and he went down the path of wanting to become a vigilante and that was his coping mechanism. But did he ever, I, that's the, the thing that I've almost sometimes noticed in Batman comics, even in Batman law, does he ever fully address that? He, there is that guilt. There's that survivor's guilt, which plagues him throughout the course of all his adventures. But I don't know whether he's ever gotten a chance of actually making peace with it completely. I mean, there are those moments sometimes, you know, in whatever stories where he talks to Alfred and he seems to have somewhat made peace, but you know, it's still haunting him. And this is yet another one when it comes to the death of Jason Todd at the, right at the beginning of this, because you can tell that right after that moment happens, he is completely, he's definitely suffering from PTSD. He's very much closing him off from, every, from everybody else. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. We even see the way he's even, uh, sort of say, talking with Nightwing, the way he relates him, he barely acknowledges Nightwing. Even when they're on missions together, it's like, what's well, more Nightwing who shows up saying, you know, I'm here. And Batman's not even like, hey, help me out and let's do this, whatever. He just goes by about his business and barely interacts with Nightwing and almost barely interacts with Alfred. And, you know, even to Keith's point, all he does is to try and somewhat take his rage out on the Joker by sending him into traction for six months. And then once he's healed again, he goes back and does it again. So it is very much a dark, dark night, no pun intended when it comes to this particular Batman, where he just hasn't had the time to heal and had the time to sort of address all this trauma that, he, that he's been dealing with. And then when we get the big reveal that Jason is alive and well, and has now gone down a very dark path and is almost doing, going against everything that Batman had taught him and is now you know, prepared to kill the Joker and wanting to do what Batman never did. I think it's even more shocking for him, even though we learned that Batman knew that Jason had that streak in him even as a kid. And he was almost trying to put him on the right path because like, if I hadn't taken him under my wing, he probably would have become Red Hood much quicker. So I think it was, oh, he almost see it as, you know, um, delaying the impossible because he almost knows from the get-go that Jason will either eventually snap and, is and hoped at the time when he made him Robin that he wouldn't. But I think deep down, he knew that eventually something would happen. And we see that even <clears throat> when they go on missions that Jason becomes more and more reckless and more and more violent. And I think that's very much concerning Bruce. And then, of course, when they have that talk between the two of them, Batman is so heartbroken by just the way it's happened. And I think, once again, he also blames himself. It's almost that father who's like, it's my fault my kid turned out this way. I should have been there for him. I should have done more. And even and I, that's why I think almost the movie doesn't really even end on a positive note. It's actually a rather sad note because i because batman realizes or has is still has that guilt plaguing him for how jason turned out even though he's alive so i think partly he's relieved that jason is alive but on the other side like my kid turned out rotten and it's my fault that my kid turned out rotten so it's a uh, it's very very well played by bruce greenwood i very much believed it i love bruce's voice so it's a sad one it is definitely part of the more melancholy uh, dark knight tales for sure so uh, let's get then uh, to uh, 
the next next two uh, members of our cast to going to the bat family we have jim hiddock as alfred pennyworth and a certain neil patrick harris as dick grayson nightwing so keith starting with you what did you make of our other two prominent bat family members I enjoy Neil Patrick Harris as the uh, adult Dick Grayson Nightwing character. He brings <clears throat> a certain level of levity to the character because he has seen some shit. <laughs> like you, we know this, you, we've seen him grow up over the years. I mean, even his run with the Titans, he has been there, done that, and it still hasn't jaded him as much as it has, you know, Bruce over the years. So he still has that, for lack of a better term, bit of humanity left. I liked him in the in the movie. I liked how he, you know, made quips at Batman. You know, when Batman goes to jump in the car, and he's like, "Couldn't you once just say, let's get in the car?" And I'm sitting, I giggled because that's one of those things I could totally see that happening. I'm like, damn it, really? And then Alfred is just kind of there along for the ride. He almost he gives off the father vibe to, for Batman. He is the Bruce Wayne dad, you know, the father of Bruce Wayne, or like the grandfather to the the robins as it were so he tries to help guide bruce on the right path and kind of console him as much as he can because again he's a butler he or sorry he's the butler he's not really related but he feels like bruce is his son so he sympathizes he feels bad when you know he sees him really struggling once he realizes that jason is alive they both have that epiphany like oh my god holy crap what happened and it seems to hit actually Alfred a little bit harder, or at least Alfred displays it externally a little bit more than say Batman. Cause we know Batman likes to lock everything away in a vault somewhere inside. So it, it was good to have him there because he was the, I'll say humanity for lack of a better term of the, the two of them. He actually showed the emotions that Batman locks away. So it was nice to have the, the flip side of that coin where one doesn't show any emotion. He wears it on his sleeve. He tries to be the voice of reason and everything. Oh yes, very much. So I think uh, Alfred Bruce would definitely be lost if Alfred were not around. This is, this is a certainty indeed. And uh, Greg, what did you make of Alfred and Nightwing? Well, uh, Keith hit the nail on the head about uh, pretty much both of them, but in terms of Alfred, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. He's there for, the comfort level, you know, there's, he's a comforting presence in this. And just to show while Bruce is suffering. So he always has that rock that is Alfred, you know, we don't see James Gordon in this one that they would have been unnecessary. So we have Alfred here. They both of course are Batman's, you know, support rocks um, and who, who helped shape him, you know? So there's Alfred. And as far as Nightwing, it's interesting what you said before, Nick, because I agree with you, is that he's kind of ignoring this son and obsessed with that Jason turned bad. But Nightwing is showing, and and he's blaming himself, as I just said, um, and he shouldn't be because he didn't do this. You know, but he's being so hard on himself when you see that Nightwing, Dick Grayson, turned out a mensch and a a great superhero and 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 savior of the city in and of himself who goes and has his own adventures i don't think nightwing is upset with batman i don't think he's thinking oh he's not even ignoring me i think he knows him so well to know he's blaming himself for jason's path 
and he shouldn't be. And he knows I'm here. He knows I'm here. Hey, I'm here to help you, Dad, Batman, Bruce. I'm here for you. But he's like, at the same time, like saying to him, or don't you ever say get in the car. He knows at the same time, that's just who he is. That's that's Bruce. I'm calling Bruce in this case, you know, and uh, he doesn't take it personal. And I, you know, Batman cares for him a lot. You, you know, he does, but just, I think that's another reason why he's so obsessed, if you will, for the Jason and, and, and redeeming Jason. Um, but, you know, it's like, well, yeah, Dick is okay. You know, you know, so that's, I would have liked to see more of Nightwing, um, but he served his purpose very well. Yeah, I, I agree. And hey, and then we did get get got that rather fun, should we say, fight that the two of them got to do against Amazo, which was which was nice. And uh, of all characters, we got Amazo, which was interesting. And uh, Holly, what did you make of Alfred and Nightwing? Oh man, Alfred. I mean, voice of reason, and then he does. You know, he tries to nudge Bruce Batman in certain ways without really coming right out and saying, "Hey." You idiot. This is what you need. this is what you need to be doing. He just makes some slight little offhanded comment and he's just like, okay, maybe I should probably look into that. <laughs> and goes about business as usual. Um and Nightwing, I mean, yeah, he's he knows this like, all right, we have to deal with this. Batman sees some dealing with this Jason thing. I'll just do what needs to be done as usual he gets snippy i'm used to it just i'll be the yes person and kind of lay low and do stuff and if i have to go out on my own and do other stuff and better to ask for forgiveness instead of permission i guess in this case is it may be so but, i mean it was it was really good and neil patrick harris says nightwing i mean i i at first i couldn't i was like oh that's him because i think didn't neil patrick harris voice the joker at one time or am i, I think wrong? he might have he might have okay because i know mark hamill has and i couldn't remember if neil patrick harris did so i wasn't exactly you know sure when i first heard who the joker was like, no that's not neil okay so but i mean great great characters i think so too i will say this on this particular watch or rewatch of this film starting with nightwing there were moments where he irritated me a little bit in the sense that when they're specifically when they're fighting amazo i mean that fight is well choreographed it's well done it's fun to, to watch but the comments that nightwing, nightwing makes sometimes he was stating the obvious a little bit and i was like and i kept going you know, no shit, Captain Obvious. I mean, when it's like, he can fly. He's shooting lasers from his eyes. I'm like, of course he is, you dummy. That's what he's doing right now. So I'm like, we didn't need the commentary necessary there, Nightwing. <laughs> or but color right. me surprised. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he did get, a, I was feeling a little bit like Batman in that moment of like, just shut up and fight. Like he says, he tells Jason in a later fight that, they, that him and Jason have together. But so that irritated me a little bit, the kind of stating the obvious. And I can understand that maybe Batman already is not in a good place. And you have this chap nattering in your ear saying, you know, saying these obvious things. 
I can understand that Bruce would want to kind of tune him out because he's like, I don't need this right now, Dick. I'm already dealing with a lot of grief. I don't need you making these obvious comments. But other than that, I mean, Dick means well, and I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't, but he's, he's very uh, he's very upbeat. He seems particularly upbeat, especially here, because he's always making these sarcastic comments and these ironic comments to him. And, you know, yeah. Go ahead, Holly. Yeah, just, I, you know, kind of to to kind of snap him loose a little bit. And I'm surprised Bruce is like, don't make me lock you in the car or in the back cave. I could just see, <laughs> could just see that happening. <laughs> I'll, I'll do this on my own. Thank you. Yeah. And that's maybe why he took off without, you know, even telling Nightwing he was leaving. Cause like, if I have to have this guy making comments again, screw this, you're staying in the back cave kid. But uh, but I mean, you know, that's just me making, you know, being silly. But what I will say is I do get what Dick is trying to do. I mean, he is trying to, like you even saying, how he kind of snap Bruce out of it and trying to get him you know, to understand almost that it wasn't his fault that Jason died. And he and also to Greg's point as well, he is trying to show Bruce that he's there for him. It's literally like the son being there for the grieving father. You know, they've lost another child and he's kind of trying to do his best to be here. And maybe his upbeatness if you will could what be attitude could almost be his way of coping with it in the sense that always oh, gotten over it or oh, it's his way of coping with the deal that jason is gone i mean you don't i i'm trying to even figure out how close nightwing or jason even were i don't even think that close if anything but what i think was is curious is maybe his way of dealing with all this tragedy is just trying to stay upbeat and stay happy and that's why it's there's very much that kind of uh, opposite of the same coin when it comes to the way dick is doing stuff the way bruce is bruce is of course like even keith was saying locks everything up and com compartmentalizes and so it's it's just makes him feel even more kind of upset and he's beating himself up dick is just like you know let's fight these guys and let's do this stuff and so on so he's it, he, it hasn't gotten to him yet. I agree with the fact of him being as jaded. He's still very much excited, if you will, and just enjoying life, I guess one could say, as a, as a vigilante and as a superhero. So there is that. And Neil Patrick Harris did a great job. Uh, Alfred didn't get too much in this, but I think the time that he did spend, that we, we did spend with him was important because he was once again, trying to comfort Bruce and trying to tell him, you know, it's not your fault. And, uh, you know, I'll, I've got your back. We, we can get through this. But And it is true that he does seem more shocked than Bruce is almost when they, it's revealed that Jason is still alive. There is much more of that, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And Bruce like, yes, he's alive, you know, kind of thing. So it's uh, there is that. But, um, but it's always great to see Alfred. Alfred's always been one of my favorite characters of the Bat family regardless. And here he very much plays that role of wise father or even wise grandfather. And you do get that impression he was almost grandfather to the Robins, which, which as Greg mm -hmm. said, which I think was a, was a great point. And it's also thanks to Nightwing to a certain extent <clears throat> that Bruce puts two and two together when it comes to revealing that the Red Hood is Jason Todd. Because um, Nightwing keeps saying, oh, he's good. Oh, he's really good. How did he learn how to do that? He must have been trained really, really well. So he's literally helping Bruce get there. I mean, I'm sure Bruce has his suspicions, but Nightwing uh -huh. is very much helping him, should we say, make the, get the confirmation, get even close to the fact that, yes, you do know this guy. And yeah, it did make uh -huh. me laugh that Nightwing's like admiring. Like, oh, he's so good. He's so good. I'm like, dude, you're a good fighter yourself. We're admiring other people and get with the program. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but you know, other than that, other than that, they did they both did a very good job. Fanboy Appreciation Club over. 
<laughs> exactly. Get to the point. So, so that's uh, that's uh, that. That was my opinion. But no, they were they were very good. The Jim Piddock and uh, Neil Patrick Harris, great jobs for sure. So I guess from our heroes, let's get to the dark side of the table because there's quite a little bit of darkness in this one. I guess we could start with our trio from the famed Rogues Gallery. We have Jason Isaacs as Rasal Ghul or Rachel Ghul, take your pick. Wade Williams as Roman Sionis Black Mask, and Bender himself, John DiMaggio, as the Joker. So, Greg, starting with you, what did you make of this trio? Um, well, uh, Raja Ghul uh, was kind of just there. And didn't do much. Um, and of course, they were all three of them in port. Well, Joker, the main antagonist, but um, and I'll get to I'll get to why that's significant. Uh, they were there for a reason, Raj Dagul and and Black Mask. Um, of course, the 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 lending that they did to you had Black Mask who broke Joker out, and you have Raj Dagul who hired him to do the job that started everything in motion. And Raja Ghul, even Raja Ghul said what he did was a little much. And that's very significant because I feel like this film, which really got to the point, it, it reminded me of, um, I think it was, it was one of them, the, the killing joke maybe where they're, where the very last scene makes the entire movie. Well, that's what happens here. Um, in, I guess, the last three scenes, you know, it really puts it into perspective of what you just watched. And it is to show, especially when Jason says to Batman, there's Dent, there's uh, a Scarecrow, and there's this guy. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Because I know it sounds a little cliched, but the Joker for me is the quintessential Batman villain. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks that you might have other Batman villains. They're all, you know, unique in their own way, but Joker is always it's established that he is, you know, the, the, the con to captain Kirk, uh, you know, the Lex Luthor to Superman. This is Joker. And with Superman, you've got these big, powerful villains like dark side and uh, you know, and, and doomsday. Well, it never gets, no matter who Batman is fighting in any particular adventure, it does not get any more indicative of who the main villain is than Joker. And this film does it very well. I read that it didn't bother me when John DiMaggio went into Bender. That was probably an homage to Bender, where before he became the Joker, he's pretty much talking like Bender. Um, I read that uh, John DiMaggio based, based this Joker on Heath Ledger's Joker that might be an IMDb speculation. It, for me, it was more his interpretation of Nicholson's Joker. But whereas Nicholson was Nicholson, uh, John DiMaggio's interpretation of, of it's, it's John DiMaggio's interpretation of Jack Nicholson's Joker for me, but done more Joker-like than Jack Nicholson-like. Do, do you understand? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, does. yeah. So yeah. So that makes perfect that's, sense. Yeah. So that's my take on uh, on the three. I mean, Raja Ghul. We know black black mask. Forget it. His scene stopped the film dead. I did not like. Maybe he's better in other stories. He 
was annoying. He did nothing for me. It was reminiscent. And I was thinking this shout out to Mr. Devin Smith, who was on the same episode of Incredibles 2 that Holly was on as well. When he said these villains were boring and did absolutely nothing for me. That was the case in this with Black Mask. I thought of Devin Smith. Hi, Devin. Hope to see you on this show again soon. And that was Black Mask. Raja Ghul, we know how compelling he is and 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 really evil and 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 in his own right, sinister. And in some incarnations of Batman, he made Batman. He trained him to defeat him for the purposes of defeating him. Of course, that's uh, the you know, Batman begins. So um it just epitomizes the Joker. And I love that because I know it sounds like I'm being anything but a contrarian when I say Joker is the Batman villain, just the main Batman villain. And uh and I rest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the defense rests then. So I guess yes. moving on to uh, to Holly then. Holly, what did you make of uh, of these three? Um I Black Mask, meh, Joke, mm. Joker, and Raja Ghul. It was just like, all right, yes, these are the ones to focus on and watch. I mean, and Raja Ghul admits that, hey, I done goofed up by hiring Joker. I mean, that's saying, <laughs> that's saying a whole lot. It's like, okay, you knew he was Looney Tunes to begin with. You didn't think this was going to come back and bite you in the rear end? <laughs> Uh, but I mean, you know, and and perfect. I mean, in Red Mask, I mean, just the way. I mean, he kind of almost is kind of like an anti-villain in a way when he comes in and is just like, okay, here's the deal. All the drug deal money in that that's coming to me. You stick away from the kids, you know. And he's slowly taking out numbers. So, but then he's doing stuff that's not so good. So it's just. I mean, you got two sides of the coin. So he still wants, he still kind of remembers Robin in a way. And then when Raza Gould tells him like, okay, when I did the reincarnation thing, it didn't quite work out the way that it (laughs) was supposed to. It's just like, okay, what did you forget to add into the mix (laughs) that got past the expiration date? Like, oh, okay, here we go. Hope for the best. But I mean, I, it was perfect, it, but I could have done without Black Mask. But of course, we had to have somebody break Joker out. I mean, couldn't Joker have broken his way out of the prison himself? I mean, <laughs> he does do the palms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that high rest. <laughs> Very well. Fair enough. And, uh, Keith, what did you make of our trio from the Rose Gallery? They were really just kind of plot devices to move the story along. You know, you had Raj who was there just to exposition dump crap that happened. He's like, oh yeah, that's my fault. My bad. Oops. You know, same thing with Black Mask. Black, he was the the muscle, the gangster of the city that was supposed to be the arch rival of Red Hood, but really Red Hood just kicked the crap out of him every possible chance he had. So there was real no, you know, headbutting between the two of them he didn't get his hands dirty he hired help to try to knock out the red hood so he was never really like a true threat per se and he finally kind of realized he needed to bring in the big guns and that's why he broke out the joker and even the joker himself was not a a true threat in any sense of the word 
in this movie. You know, he was there for a couple minutes. He tries to set Black Mask on fire. He makes a couple of quips to Nightwing and Batman when he's in Arkham. But you don't really feel a sense of uh, anything from him. He, like, there's no like, all right, whatever. There's just some dude here to move the story along. Such as like the Riddler was for that one flashback. He was there so briefly, they didn't even hire an actor to voice him. He was just there to kind of show Robin kicking the crap out of people. So I, I didn't, you know, they could have literally just created some rando bad guy for this and would have had the same end result. Well, that's fair. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Bruce Tim is listed as voicing the Riddler, but like, where did he voice him? <laughs> like, <didn't> make <laughs> There's that noise. grunt sound. Yeah, like Bruce, you you were you know, Bruce Tim. Exactly. I mean, and Bruce Tim, of course, great writer when it comes to both the comics and uh, and the the animated show, and has done so much in the superhero world. So I'm like, Bruce, you're doing anything? You just want to grunt on this mic for us, and we'll list you as the Riddler. He's like, Yeah, I'm game. I'm not doing anything. So I guess that's what they they gave they, they got Bruce Tim to do something. But I will basically say- that scene was just Robin kicking the crap out of the Riddler, and Riddler's just like. Mm. Silence. Yeah. Go ahead, I seem to remember Bruce Tim listed as one of the producers of this. So I yep. think he just said, don't want to waste money on an actor. You know, that was that. Like, and that's lunch, people. <laughs> I can I can definitely see that. But um, but no, here's the here's the thing when it comes to uh to me and these these guys, um Rush, uh, Ghul can be a very compelling character if he's used properly. Here, I agree, he was more of a foil, more of like he was the guy who caused every, who put everything in motion. I agree, like you guys were saying. I mean, Jason Isaacs does a good job of the character, and the way he then tells the story of obviously having resurrected Jason in the Lazarus pit, that is cool. When you even get a shot of Talia Ghul and what have you, he's like, yeah, this is nice, but you would have liked more. And I do also, I did what we did get of, of Russia. Well, I did like the uh, the whole thing of how commanding he is and just the charismatic guy that he is, the head of the demon after all. And just uh, when Batman comes to see him, he's like, just let me use my remote control so I can tell the guards not to come in. And so it was, it was just, that was, that was kind of hilarious moment. Speaking of hilarious moments, I would almost advance the theory that Black Mask is the com- comedic relief in this, in this film, in the sense that, He's very much like Wiley Coyote. He has all these <laughs> all these amazing plans, and they all go to hell for him. Yeah, I mean, no, that's perfect. Especially the shot yeah. where Jason Todd is shooting the bazooka or your know, RPG into his uh, penthouse, and you just see a look at his face, and he and you know what he's actually trying to say, but since this mm-hmm. is a, a kids' movie, he has that ah shit look on his face, and he just falls ass <laughs> out of the room. And you know, I'm like, yep. I was dying because even Red Hood's like. Well, damn, he can really haul ass when he has to. But again, they have to keep it PG for the kids. But you know that's what he's saying. <laughs> that's why I'm yeah. like, it's Wiley Coyote. Yeah, go ahead. Greg. Young, young adult uh, teenager here. No, I was just going to yeah. say, if Black Mask was the comic relief for this movie, these guys got to stick to uh, making superhero comic book dramas and maybe let someone else write some comedy for it. <laughs> I mean, or, or, or my, I could, it could just be that my sense of humor is incredibly fractured. It could be that too, because I just found it hilarious that one, all his plans go to hell. That's why I made the Wiley Coyote comparison. But then also yeah. the fact that he takes his rage out on every single guy in the room and punches yeah. them, and they uh-huh. don't do anything about it. He's like, I can't believe don't, that he don't failed both. You know, like, yes. And, 
and he and I mean, he's he, screaming at the secretary at the same time. It's just like <laughs> he's a man child, basically, because the secretary yes. doesn't even flinch. She's just like, uh, OK, yeah. you're done throwing your temperature. I'm cool. All right. So we're going to order, order more bullets and grenades and shit like that. And we're going to yes. keep moving. Yeah. And, and that's a great point, because shout out to Miss Liu, who's the only female character in this film. And I will definitely, I will say that um, I think that Kelly, who did, played it very deftly, I, I actually enjoyed that character very much. That's why I got the whole comedic relief thing as well, because the relationship between, pardon me, Miss Lee and Black Mask is very, very comedic because she's super calm and just almost, she's almost uh, making fun of him, but he, you know, won't hit her. And at least points for Black Mask for not hitting a woman. I will say that. At least he's oh, got you, that going for him. You make a very fair point that it's comic relief. It oh, no, I have no disagreement that it's comic relief. But Black Mask. Yeah. Uh, mm. No, yeah. It, I was, it was, it was, I was half funny. waiting for her to say, are we done yet so we can get yeah. on to business? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's because she's very good. Miss Lee is very good at... What and she knows what to say and what not to say. It's almost like uh-huh. she knows exactly what. Oh, she's like, if I say something wrong, it's not a problem. Black Mask will probably deck the guy right behind me, so it's fine. But some other poor schmo will have to deal with his rage, not me. And I just love how she's like, yes, sir. He it is a problem, sir. And she's even uh-huh. like almost correcting him when he's like, who is that other clown walking around? That's Nightwing, sir. And he's just very sort of just. He's just yelling and screaming, and and she's very calm. That's why, I, as I said, I found the Miss Lee character very, very fun. Like I said, Kelly, who only lady in this in this in this film. And I she will probably say knows where half the bodies are buried, so he's keeping her around. <laughs> I will key. say to play devil's advocate, even though I did not like Black Mask, I do think there is probably no wrong way to interpret a Batman character. No, no. But yeah. Which, which, as we've seen, the various versions of Joker, of course, you can play more comedic, more psychopathic, more gangster-like. You know, I think yeah. all of them have their their time and place. And then, obviously, yes. it's up to the um, the viewer or the comic book reader or the movie goer to elect their favorite iteration of that character. But you make a good point, Greg. So, yes, I found Black Mask to be the, the comedic relief. It just made me laugh every time his plans went to hell. I mean, the Amazo thing is like, where am I going to get my millions back? <laughs> so it's just, it's just funny. And he's throwing stuff around and, the, and then Red Hood is kind of uh, waving at him, shooting a bazooka into his office. So it was fun. When it came to Joker, there were moments, I will say, where, where John DiMaggio, as much as I love his, his voice acting, it, I did find it distracting in places because it did make me think of Bender. And I was almost like, is this Bender in the studio reading the Joker's lines? Because there were moments where, okay, he didn't do full Bender, like, boom, baby, he didn't do that, luckily. But um, it, it, I did get that, that little feel of it. But what's interesting is I liked what he did right at the top of the movie, the torture scene where he's torturing Jason Todd. That is done really, really well. John DiMaggio there is able to sound incredibly dark and incredibly sadistic. And, you know, if, if this there were just an audio play, it would probably creep you the hell out just listening to it. With all the lights off, just, you know, which I would probably do, do just for the heck of it. Just, uh, you know, lie in bed and listen just to the audio of this. And I'm sure it would just be it just it just it's super creepy. And and I just what's what's interesting about the Joker is he just revels in all of this. He doesn't mm-hmm. care because that's no. the Joker. 
you know, Batman can beat him um, with an inch of his life, send him into traction for six months. He couldn't care less because he knows Batman's never going to kill him. So he's just like, OK, I'm just going to laugh about all of this. And even when Jason you know, takes him and is threatening to kill him, and there's almost that Mexican standoff, if you will, where there's, uh, I believe, Jason with the gun to Joker's head and, uh, and uh, he tosses Batman a gun. And he's like, you know, mm -hmm. you have to do something about this or we're all going to die. It's very much the kind of Mexican standoff situation. The Joker is loving it because he's just so he finds it so hysterical and so ironic that, you know, it's like if we're all going to die, this is just going to be the biggest joke ever told that all three of us are going to die together. And so he, he just laughs. I think also the irony of it, because now he knows who Red Hood is. To him, it's just like it's just like um, like I said, incredibly it's incredibly hilarious to him, and just, and so it's uh, it's well played by John DiMaggio. Aside from those other mm -hmm. moments where he broke into Bender, but as uh, Greg said, he might have been you know doing a little bit of an Easter egg, saying, "Hey kids, remember me? I also play Bender." So it could have been that too, but uh, but I don't know. It was uh, it was it was well done, and these were these were good villains to see. Black Mask, yes, we could have had not had. It was it was a little bit of levity, I think, within the criminal world. So I guess let's round off our our characters with another of our titular characters and the one of the characters it's all about. We have Mr. Jensen Ackles as Jason Todd Red Hood. So, Holly, starting with you, I know that you're a big Jensen Ackles fan for mm -hmm. other shows. So what did you make yes. of uh, Red Hood and what Jensen did with this character? He did awesome. And when he when the voice when you hear his voice first come in, it was just like, okay, this was real early into the supernatural run. And he, he hadn't quite, I think, found the red mask voice yet until, or red hood until a little bit later. Cause it almost sounded like Dean coming in. And I was waiting to he have him, you know, do, Hey Sammy or his son of a bitch. <laughs> but I mean, it was just, I mean, it was fantastic to have him as this because i'm not sure he had posted that instagram a picture of him in a red hood costume and i wasn't i'm not sure if this was before during or after him getting the role as red hood and i mean it was just fantastic so it's nice to see him being able to branch out and to do this voice acting and to show his range because i mean he can act <laughs> Oh, he certainly can. And uh, were you happy with the with the what Red Hood did and the character of Red oh. Hood in, in itself? Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was pleasantly surprised, and then that plot twist reveal towards the end, it was just like, wow. And I think when Joker put the two and two together, I mean, Joker has Bruce read like a book, and now that he knows that oh, Red Hood is actually a former Robin, it's just like, nope, he's not going to take him out, even though you know. <laughs> He probably could, but eh, he's going to let him live to see another day. <laughs> likely indeed. And uh, and yes, because I knew that, um, in fact, this was one of the reasons you wanted to, to review this one, because I know you're a big fan of Supernatural and the course of Jensen Ackles. And uh, <laughs> Keith, you being a big Red Hood fan, what did you make of this version of this character? Um, I'm... Like I said before, I really enjoyed his character as the Red Hood. I, I wish they had or will expand upon it just because he's such an interesting character in the movie. They had to kind of introduce him into the, the Batman universe. So they, they kind of did the by hook or by crook scenario where they just did enough to bring you in and bring him and 
kind of impact Batman and show, you know, that what Batman considered his greatest failure is still alive. So technically, while he's not a failure in the respect that he he's dead, he's a failure in the respect that he still managed to turn to the dark side of justice, opposed to walk the straight and narrow that Batman and Rod, you know, all the other Robins and Nightwing have done. The way he portrayed the character, especially his interactions with Batman or anybody else on screen, I enjoyed. He definitely he stole the show in some some of the scenes, other scenes, they kind of traded back and forth with the banter. You know, the end of it where he's beating the ever-loving crap out of the Joker with a crowbar and he's alluding to who he is to the Joker and the Joker still doesn't really quite, you know, catch on at all. until like the very, very end of the movie. I thought that was a, a good call back to him getting the crap beaten out of him by the Joker. So I liked everything they did. I enjoyed, you know, he brought a good presence. He brought the Jason Todd character. It did very much remind me of his uh, Dean character from the tv show but he's a grizzled character in that show as well so while it's not a huge stretch in terms of acting prowess it's Mm -hmm. still a good representation of jason todd okay yeah i'll I'll eventually have to watch supernatural i promise i'll get there people i promise because rachel's already gotten on my case about it and so i will definitely get there eventually i know you got rachel into supernatural Yeah, I got Rachel into Supernatural. Yeah, it was one of those messages like, um, Holly, I mean, this is the nicest way. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can ruin the show in one sentence, so it's okay. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure I could, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. well, uh, I'll have to be very careful then. Um, And uh, Greg, what did you make of, of Jason Todd Red Hood? Darker Scooby Doo there. Was that what you were going to say about Supernatural, Keith? (laughs) <laughs> no no i, I was gonna ruin the ending so it's okay oh, okay i tease i tease anyway okay so this is where the two perspectives of the film come in that this is batman and red hood's uh jason todd's story and one might weigh out the other of being one interested it's 50 percent batman and 50 percent red hood and how this event this shocking traumatic event um you know broke them apart it was reminiscent for me of Obi-Wan and Anakin. I mean, that's what I think it was. And uh, I mean, that same kind of thing, the mentor and, and the student, uh, because of a single tragic event and one very, very evil man uh, are divided. In this case, of course, he didn't join the Joker, you know, as Anakin joined the Emperor. Um, but uh, in this case, it he... he was changed by this horrific event. And I will stop by saying that it all leads up to that final scene where you literally get chills and goosebumps when he says, this is going to be the greatest day of my life in the flashback that Bruce is thinking that this was his kid. And it's the, the pain that you feel this is where the movie, I mean, it's it's not an easy movie to watch. It's very, very dark. But then in that last scene, I mean, I don't know if any other, there's very few films that, for a, a film uh, um, that took me aback. I always talk about watching Us, uh, uh, Jordan Peele's Us. And I always say how I was watching the movie and watching it as a film. 
and going, uh-huh, Jordan, I like what you did there. Yes, yes, I like what you did there. Ooh, Lupita, very good, good choice there. And then that last scene is the credits roll. I couldn't move because I was so freaked out by the last shot. And that's what happened here for Under the Red Hood. And then as we talked about earlier, the beautiful shot of the puddle and the tears that's 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 bruce wayne uh, crying and you will not see him show his emotions like that he probably i always suspected batman probably either goes into the um you know uh, a, a a little cocoon position and and uh, gets into a little ball maybe even in the closet and that's where he has his catharsis but that was he he has that flashback that haunting, this is going to be the best day of my life. Oh, my God, this kid has his whole life ahead of him, and we know how it ends. And it gives you, it, it sends you a, a shock, a jolt, a, and, a, and a, you know, an electric, you get electrocuted by that. And then that final credits, which I don't stop watching the movie at those credits. That is, that is emotion right there. That is why that whole thing, that whole ending I know I'm not really talking about Red Hood per se. I'm talking about what he does, uh, and and this this whole symbolic um, a, a, a wrap up that this film has. So maybe I wasn't taken with the character. In fact, I wasn't. Um, I, I I wanted to see more of Batman's perspective, but it it, it was beautifully done in that sense and beautifully wrapped up via the Jason Todd character in the flashback. And I just thought it was beautifully done and, and really emotionally jarring. I do think, actually think that was a very, that was a very interesting choice to uh, on Brandon Vietti's part of actually going back to Batman reminiscing about uh, Jason when he was Robin and just being so full of life and so happy and just so elated and enthusiastic because it's, it, it's almost, I, I agree, it's one, it's one of those shots that you might see in these kind of best picture winning movies, if you will, which are very tragic, and the character casts their mind back to a happier time. So I will definitely applaud uh, Brandon Vietti and Judd Winnick for deciding to go that. And then, of course, you have the beautiful Christopher Drake score to underline it all. So it is, is just fabulous, fabulous stuff. When it comes to, to um, you know, my, my thoughts on, on Red Hood, I recall, you know, when I first watched this, that uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't particularly a fan of his in the sense I was like, oh man, he's, he's he really very much I did very much get that Vader vibe, if you will, of he's gone to the dark side, and he's literally distorting and changing and perverting everything that Batman taught him. But I suppose part of that you can chalk up to what happened to him: one, having been you know blown to bits by the Joker, and secondly the after effects of the Lazarus pit, because as, uh, as Rachel, as Rachel Gould was mentioning, and as you know, comic book, you know, comic book readers know is the Lazarus pit. Yes, it will bring you back to life, but it can have some rather unfortunate after effects, i.e. temporary madness or even long-term madness because Rachel Gould uses it to should we say regain his youth. So they didn't really know what it would do exactly when it came to resurrecting a corpse, because it's mainly used, if you will, for rejuvenation. It's a fountain of youth, you know, more than anything else. So he's like, I guess we'll see what happens when, when we throw in a dead body. You know, kind of like uh, the more you know, kids, this is what happens when you throw, drop your dead body into a Lazarus pit. So I suppose it could also be chalked up to 
the after effects of having been ostensibly brought back to life. And that's why also his mind is broken as well. He's no longer that youth that he used to be. And maybe the dark traits that he had have been amplified also because of one, his trauma, his incredibly traumatic death, and two, his very traumatic bring, bring being brought back into the world. So I'm sure that definitely has something to do with it because you wonder in the interim, what was what was Jason doing? I mean, once he gets out of the Lazarus pit, he runs off. And so you assume either he was training and just by himself and just all getting his anger out on random people until he decided to, should we say, bring back the identity of the Red Hood? Because there, it's never really explained, I, I believe, what Jason was up to in between in, in that particular time period. So there is also that to think about. He was probably alone a lot, which is you might, might not be the best thing in for somebody in Jason's mental state, and that probably could have helped. Uh, should we say did not help matters, but uh, I, it is very much the polar opposite of Batman. And uh, and I did I, I thought the um, the exchange between the two one when they are fighting together again, it's almost a beautifully tragic thing or beautifully sad thing. When it's like, it's almost like you're seeing it's like old days where now an older Robin is fighting next to his mentor when it comes to, to fighting some villains. And then when we have the Mexican standoff, it's very, very sad because Jason gives Bruce, you know, his truth. And I guess kind of belts out everything he's always thought of. You know, you, uh, you put these guys in jail, but they come out, they, they get out eventually and they always, they never fully pay for their crimes. And I'm doing what you can't. So it's almost like the uh, Punisher <coughs> Daredevil situation where Daredevil puts people in, in jail through legal means. He goes through the law while the Punisher is like, I'll just put them in the ground. They're, they're trash. They're human trash. So I can just put them in the ground and they'll never hurt anybody again. So there is that. that and I think Jensen Eccles handles it brilliantly. Not having seen Supernatural, uh, there wasn't anything I could, shall we say, compare it to other than him playing a younger Batman. And he does do a great job as as Red Hood, so it was uh, it was well played, and the last couple of scenes were just excellently executed. So, uh, guys, anything else on this film before we get to ratings? All righty, the silence says it all. I guess then let's get to ratings. Keith, what do you give this out of ten? Uh, I'm <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I think I'm going to give a, a seven and a half. It's an entertainment watch. You know, they could have done it better. They could have done it worse. So. Oh, nice middle of the road. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Greg, what do you give it? Uh, I think I'll give it a seven. Um, I, I, I had my problems with it, but overall, a very compelling Batman story um, and stays within the tradition very, very well. Unlike even some live action Batman movies, uh, this one stayed in the tradition of Batman, albeit a darker, like a darker animated series, if, if one could believe that. Animated series had its dark moments. So, yep. And so I'll give it a seven, uh, even though maybe I, I'm like being very kind to it because it might on my end be a 6.5 for me. But I will give it a seven because, you know, overall, a very well told tale. Great stuff. And Holly, what, what do you give it? I'm going to give it an eight. The voice acting and the storytelling, I mean, a couple of things with the pacing and one of the little plot points kind of brought it down. But I mean, an enjoyable, a very enjoyable movie. 
Great stuff. I'm I'm actually going to give it a seven and a half out of ten as well. I'm I'm with Keith on this one. As yes, it was a good movie. The uh, the voice acting was was definitely spot on. Um, there were probably moments I think which uh, you know could have been cut here a little bit, maybe less Black Mask and more Jason Todd and Batman, like uh, like like a lot of you guys were saying. And heck, maybe give it give us show us what Jason was doing post Lazarus Pit and before coming back to Gotham City. That would have been nice mm-hmm. to see. Just give us an idea. We'll even have Jason tell us, you know, even, even if you don't want to show us, tell us. Have Jason say, I was walking alone and nobody helped me and I killed people and I ate crap and, you know, this kind of, you know, I want to know this stuff. Mm-hmm. Inqu- inquiring minds want to know. So it's seven and a half out of 10 for me. So let's get to recommendations. Greg, is there anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners who, uh, might, have enjo- who have been, might have enjoyed this and would like to see more akin to this? For, for once, I'm at a loss for words. No, I don't. I've, I tried to think of a recommendation, but I do not have. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Holly, do you have anything you'd like to recommend? Uh, not that I can think of because I'm not too much into the DC comics. So, nope, unless you've got something. <laughs> I, I do. But first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose the question to Mr. Bliss, who I know definitely knows his, his DC comics, his <laughs> comics very well. So, Keith, do you have anything you'd like to suggest? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't read comic books. Uh, comics? What I, are those? Yeah, comics? What are those? What are cartoons? What's animation? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a bit of a list. Uh, what I would recommend is the uh, 2020 Batman Death in the Family. It ha- It's not really a full feature-length movie. It's a bunch of shorts. But the very first one is Bruce Wayne and Superman kind of rehashing Under the Red Hood. And it kind of puts a different spin and kind of fills in a couple of those blanks. Um, from there, I would also recommend uh, the three jokers. And the reason for that, while it's not connected to this specific story, it's connected to the Jason Todd side of the house because <clears throat> they were trying to groom him into being one of these uh, jokers that they have multiples running around in the DC universe. So that's a fun, interesting take on it. From there, you have uh, Heroes in Crisis. This shows some of the characters in a kind of like you were talking about the PTSD, this uh, facility was set up to kind of deal with that trauma and things related to stuff. They superheroes have gone through. You have Harley Quinn, you got the flash, you got the Trinity, the whole nine yards. So I think that covers a lot of the aspects of the DC universe that we don't see on the day-to-day, you know, in the comic books. Well, that's that. Those are some great recommendations indeed. I would actually pair it with uh, what I'd actually mentioned earlier: Batman: A Death in the Family. Uh, you know, from way back when, from the eighties, which of course, uh, with some beautiful art by Mike Mignola, uh, written by Jim Starlin, J- Jim Aparo's on this. This it's absolutely a fantastic, fantastic story. Very seminal story. That's uh, obviously Batman issues four twenty six to four twenty nine which was published between August and November of 88. Folks, these days you can find it as a trade paperback on Comixology, and I believe even your your friendly neighborhood comic store. It should be pretty available. I mean, I have to say in Italy, we don't really have them in in English, so I tend to buy my stuff of Comixology because I don't want to read comics translated, as good as the translations are. But Keith, you being a frequenter of comic book stores, this is also quite readily available in the, as a trade paperback, right? If folks want the physical copy. Yeah, you can get it through, you know, a lot of local retailers will have it. You can also get it off of Amazon, you know, any of your, you know, Barnes and Nobles, <clears throat> they have it on there. You can go into the stores. I've seen 
reprints of it multiple times. You know, anytime you go to a comic book convention, there's always that one guy that's got the set of, you know, Death in the Family because people do enjoy it, even though it's kind of a, a BS story, but people do enjoy the story. It's very true. And among these things, you even have, I believe, the Joker becoming president of president of Libya at one point of Algeria or something like that. Or he gets welcomed into one of these into one of these Arab countries because like, oh, you know, because obviously right back then it's like, oh, the terrorists love me and all this kind of thing. So you literally see the Joker show up with like, you know, dressed for the desert, which I, I always found rather hilarious. But yeah, definitely check that out, folks. And to add a little quick bit of trivia, if you did not know this. When we get the climactic moment of the explosion, DC actually asked its readers to choose whether Jason Todd would live or would die. I believe there was actually a number that folks had to call and you had to choose either you know, dial one if you wanted him to die, or dial two if you wanted him to live. And it turns out that the, uh, those who wanted Jason to die beat out those who wanted him to live because a lot of readers were not particularly Jason Todd fans like, Oh, he's such a little snot. He's he's just so rude and so arrogant. Dick Grayson was the golden boy. Who the hell is this? Kill him now. And so they got to choose uh, when it came to Jason's fate. So that is our episode, folks. And uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can shoot us an email at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness, or follow us on Twitter while it stands at High Darkness Pod. Also, uh, when, when that's, and that's, I guess, pretty much when it comes to our, our social medias. And uh, Keith, where can folks interact with you on the interwebs? I live under a rock. I don't go on the internet. It's dumb. <laughs> you wear the tinfoil hat and just avoiding everybody. 100%. <laughs> Fantastic. Very, that's, in fact, it's very hard, folks, for me to sometimes communicate with Keith. We have to find, like, I have to send him carrier pigeons to set up the episodes. And sometimes he, he decides, okay, I'll hop on and make sure. It's kind of like if we were talking about red. There you go. It's that, it's that kind of situation, I suppose. But uh, fantastic. My damn cat keeps killing his pigeons. I own like exactly. six. <laughs> I know. Some of the messages don't get through, but we're able to, to connect okay. And uh, Holly, where can folks find you? Well, you can find me as one-fifth of the Five-ish Fangirls. We are on Facebook. We also have a website, the Five-ishfangirls.com. You can find me personally at hollymac underscore 79 on Instagram and Twitter. And for those who are on Hive, I am hollymac79. I will definitely have to check out this Hive thing eventually, as uh, I know you're on it and Charles is on it and a couple of other folks are on it. So I'll definitely have to check that out eventually. And Greg, where can folks find you? Keith, you haven't changed in 30 years. You're a liar. I'm going to give you a plug at the end of this spiel. Um, okay, so <laughs> one of these days I have to write this out because there's pl all these places to find me. So I'll spell my name, Greg, G-R-E-G, Vora, V-O-R-O-B. Find me on my social media uh, presences on Facebook. You can go friend me there. Find my YouTube where you can see a bunch of goodies at Greg Vorob. Um, listen to MSV podcast. It's now hosted by John Seymour, but listen to the whole thing and listen to John um, and listen to where I'm more present. MSV podcast presents the fake and the whimsy. Will it be on a lot? No, but when, when it will be on, will it be awesome? Yes. A certain Mr. DJ Nick is uh, going to be involved. I won't, I won't spoil anything. Um, the new episodes begin next month. 
but you can now hear uh, of the fake and whimsy world. You can hear all 13 MSV episodes on the fake and whimsy platform. And here comes the shout out. John Seymour, listen to his new show, Bullshit Hour with John Seymour. He thought of it overnight. It took him, I, I don't know, he just had a light bulb go off and go, bullshit show, brand new show. And a certain Mr. Keith Bliss, who just lied through his teeth, can be heard in episode two of that show. And uh, so I think that wraps up all my plugs. One of these days, I'm going to clean that spiel up a bit. Fair enough. And I definitely am going to have to check out this bullshit show, which you speak, because I'm very curious to hear what, what, these, what these guys have to talk don't, about. Because it's... Don't think you're not going to be asked on, Nick. I Whether you do it or there. not is up to you, but don't think you're not going to be asked on. <laughs> Oh my, I guess we'll have to see what happens when it happens then. Um, when it comes to me, when it comes to me, folks, if you are of the country music persuasion, you can find me hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes. We play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. More info about that and where to tune in, visit our website. That's whiskey and cigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend of also Five-ish Fangirls fame on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the Best Picture winners in chronological order. This coming week, we will be taking on Mel Gibson's Braveheart, so there is that to look forward to or not, depending on how you feel about Mel Gibson in that movie. And uh, also myself and the Charles Skaggs can be found on Titan Talk, the Titans podcast, where we recently wrapped up the first six episodes of season four of respectively Titans and Doom Patrol. That show is currently now on hiatus until the next slew of episodes of those two shows return. In the meantime, what I, what I will announce is Charles and I will be returning to the Fandom Zone podcast as of next month, where we will be reviewing the seventh, I believe, and final season of The Flash. That's, of course, the CW show. So there is that. And speed things to come on this show. Next time, we'll be taking on the 1975 Michael Anderson film, Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze. So that said, uh, first off... Um, Holly and Greg, I'm sure I can speak for Keith as well when I say you know, it was a pleasure to have you guys back. Uh, great talk and uh, definitely look forward to having you both back soon. Well, you, you could you you speaking for Keith in terms of Holly, not in terms of me, because I can't <laughs> escape this guy. Grew up with him and now he's here and my just, just get away, Greg. So no, it's OK, Keith. I admitted your subtext for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it was definitely great to have, to have you both on. And um, yeah, Holly. Thanks. And thanks for taking me up on the offer to review under the Red Hood. That was it was awesome. Well, we definitely appreciate you uh, shooting us the, those suggestions, you know, so uh, they always very much appreciate. I mean, Keith is a wealth of knowledge and uh, very good when it comes to us, uh, you know, figuring out our months of what we're going to be taking on. But, you know, we definitely appreciated, uh, you know, you shooting those titles our way. And speaking of you, Keith, Mr. Bliss, any um, any closing thoughts and uh, any any thoughts on our next movie before we sign off? Uh, I'm looking forward to this movie because it's so campy and so cheesy. It's amazing. <laughs> this will actually be a first time for me, and I'm very curious to to check this out. So, folks, I guess there'll be a. Uh, There'll definitely be some interesting discussions going on. That said, thank you, of course, as always, for this show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze. Until then, stay super. Ciao. Well, wait.